You're listening to Family Pedals, the podcast for people questioning the status quo and getting around a little bit differently. I'm your host, Sarah Copper. Before we get into today's interview, I want to share some updates about the show. This will be the last episode I release this spring. I hope to be back again either in the fall or the new year, but for now, I am going to take a step back to pursue other creative projects and just have a relaxing summer with my family. Thank you to everyone who has listened, shared, and supported Family Pedals over the last year. When I came up with the concept, I wasn't sure who would listen or whether it would even resonate with other families, and it has turned out to be such a rewarding endeavor. I have loved connecting with both guests and listeners who are passionate or curious about active transportation, biking, and getting outside with their families. Listeners, thank you for being a part of this. It wouldn't be what it is without you. So now that you know what's going on with the show, let's get on to the interview. Today, I am sharing a conversation I had with Doug Dunlop, who many of you may know from his blog and social media handle, Cold Bike. He bikes year-round in Calgary, Alberta, including going on winter biking camping adventures with his family. We talk about what he loved about his long commute, one of his favorite bike camping trips, and how these types of adventures inspire creativity in himself and his kids. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. I am really looking forward to having you on the show. I think a lot of what we're going to talk about will, at least some of what we'll talk about, will be related to winter biking. And I know we're about to enter summer. But really what I love about your Instagram feed and your blog is just this idea of living a life of adventure and making the most out of these everyday experiences. So I think that can apply in any season. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are, who's in your family, and where you live? Uh, so my name is Doug Dunlop. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, with my family, uh, Tig, who's now 14, Fiona, who's 10, and my wife, Tanya, who's uh, older than them. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, let's start by having you share how you started biking for transportation. I did bike when I was uh, going to school in junior high in grade seven, eight, and nine. I often would bike to school. It, it was about a 10 mile each way trip. There wasn't a whole lot of infrastructure. So here I was a, a 12 year old kid uh, essentially biking down the freeway. Wow. On my way to uh, school. <laughs> I continued off and on all throughout school, partly because. The bus service wasn't as convenient as I wanted it to be, and I, I really enjoyed being out on my bike. And then, like most people, I sort of let it slide a little bit uh, later on in life. Mm -hmm. And about a year after I got married, I was tucking my belly into my pants, and I said, well, this really isn't me. And <laughs> the next day, I uh, rode my bike to work. And at the time, uh, my work was about, about 15 kilometers or 10 miles from my house. And I, I continued that for almost 10 years. So I rode my bike every day to work. And then the cathartic moment was when somebody told me that there was a 
a bike race at the time. It was called the I Did a Bike or I Did a Sport. And the short race is uh, 350 miles of Alaskan wilderness in the end of February. It's the week before the dog sled race. I heard about this and it was as though they had made a race just for me. I couldn't believe that there were other people like me out there. It goes from um, anywhere from two days till some years the winter doesn't finish for six days. And um, I found I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And we are definitely going to talk more about the kind of adventures you like to go on. But before we get to that, I have a question about your commute. So it sounds like you were doing a much longer commute than what most people do by bike. Did you ever consider moving closer to your work or did you like the long distance or were there other reasons why you did that for so long? I'd say a, a combination of that, Sarah, where my commute was fairly long, but I, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And also I, I really like where we live and we're fairly close to where Tanya works. Uh, we're only about an hour's walk. She takes the bus to work and then walks home from work. And so it doesn't really make sense for us to move to where I was working. And I found that after an hour's bike ride, I got home and I had forgotten all about work. There was no stress mm. left over. Right. And just about every bike commuter will tell you that where the bike commute becomes part meditation, part gym, part mm -hmm. recreation. Yes. And really puts you in a good frame of mind to be at home with your family. Yeah, it really does check so many boxes. And now that you're saying this, I'm remembering I knew somebody in Austin who they used to have a much longer commute and they ended up moving closer for various reasons. And they said they did actually miss having that longer commute because it was that opportunity for a transition that they missed, which isn't necessarily what you would think before you've experienced it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love for you to talk about the transition to when you had kids and what that looked like, both for getting them on the bike and how you get around and then biking with them in all seasons. I guess first thing was I, ha I have a nephew who's now 18. So I, I started out with him. I bought a trailer well before I had kids. And, you know, I, I was... Never quite 100% satisfied that that was exactly the best way to carry around kids. Mm -hmm. But definitely it, it does get the kids around. Yes. You're a little slower, but it's comfortable. They're protected from the weather in there. It's a really nice way to get around. So then when my kids were born, I was pretty accustomed to using the trailer. And uh, I also got a a seat that fit behind me on a rack, which I, I found I liked even better for the conversation aspect of it. Mm -hmm. When my daughter was born, I immediately um, upgraded to a double trailer. The double trailer I found came with its own set of problems in that it's wider mm -hmm. and carrying more and more weight was a little more work for me. That's when I started getting interested in cargo bikes. And I saw an article in probably the first or second issue of Momentum magazine mentioned a Bachfitz. And I saw this box in the front with the kids sitting in it, and I thought, wow, that's, that's the perfect system. 
so I showed it to my friend and she immediately had her husband order one up. She was pregnant at the time, so she immediately, she was put on bed rest, I think, within a month of her getting her Bachfietz. And I conveniently had this baby, and she insisted that I borrow her Bachfietz for a few months, like nine. <laughs> I just loved it. It was, you know, it was, it was like a party on wheels. Mm-hmm. When the Bachfietz had to go back to its rightful owner, I immediately, uh, was missing it. It had become clear to me at that point that I really wanted one. So Tanya asked me one day, well, when are you going to order one? <laughs> she didn't ask, do you want one? Right. Do, you, do you think we should get one? She, she just said, when, when are you going to order one? And I found a, a little shop in uh, Eugene, Oregon called Setma. Mm-hmm. But he had a little more American style geometry, which by my math, was going to be better at climbing hills than the, the Dutch-style one. And that turned out to be absolutely true. And, uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. I've had it now for nine years. Wow. I still ride it, I would say, nearly every day. Now, less so with kids and more so with groceries or whatever I need. I do buy bike and I reserve the car for trips to the mountains. Yes, they are so versatile for many more things than people imagine. There's a lot that bikes can do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your handle for your blog and on Instagram is cold bike. And one of the things that you feature are your adventures throughout the Canadian winter, which lasts for a very long time. (laughs) (laughs) I would love for you to share with folks about both essential gear that you need to make that a comfortable experience that is enjoyable, and then also any attitude recommendations or ways of thinking about it to make biking in the winter not something that people avoid, but something that they can look forward to and enjoy. Well, I I think it starts with just the realization. My friend Tom Babin wrote a book called Frostbike. Mm. I forget the subtitle of the joy, pain, and numbness of winter cycling. (laughs) And one of the things he touches on immediately, it's not really as bad as you think it is. Mm -hmm. Most people around Calgary, if you ask them, they'll say, oh, we get nine months of winter and it's, you know, minus 30 for weeks on end. That's just not real. That's the indoor perspective. Mm. The perspective when you're actually out there is it's not as long and we get a lot of sunlight in the winter. And so a lot of your riding, while it may be cold, it's sunny and cold, which feels much nicer than cloudy and and moist and cold. Mm -hmm. It's not as long as you think it is and it's not as cold as you think it is. And then when you get on the bike invariably and i still do this to this day everybody starting out wears way too many clothes and they get about three blocks from their house and they realize wow i'm producing a lot of heat here with this pedaling of a bike Mm -hmm. and when you're riding a front load cargo bike it actually provides you some protection from the wind so you're even warmer (laughs) So usually the the trick is to dress 
substantially less than you think you should, but bring enough that if you do have to stop, I had a, a tire go flat one time at uh, minus 35. Mm. And, mm -hmm. and so the first thing I did was throw on my, my down jacket that I had stashed in my bag because I knew that as soon as I'm sitting still trying to fix a tire, I'm going to start getting pretty cold pretty fast, even though I feel warm now. And then the other thing is that if it's really cold and you've got, you know, a not operating bike, usually you can roll it. And mm -hmm. if you're walking, pushing a bike, you're going to stay warm. So, you know, if you get cold feet, hop off the bike and push. It's a little secret of uh, winter cyclists. Hmm. Your feet don't warm up on the bike, but they will warm up when you're walking. Yeah. What's your trick for keeping your hands warm? I've seen lots of photos that look like you guys have very warm hands, which has actually been one of my issues biking here in the winter. Can you share what you guys use? Yeah, so I actually make my own pogies. I sell them currently on Etsy, and I'm working at transitioning that to selling them uh, independently on the goldbike.com website. Pogies are like a giant mitten that fits over your handlebars and over the controls on your handlebars. And the idea behind it is that you can operate those controls because you wear thin gloves underneath and these pogies are, are like a giant mitten over the top of your handlebar. And then we're sometimes out in, in fairly extreme cold. If we go bike camping in winter, we have to be prepared to be riding the bikes at minus 30 or minus 40. And that's that's really cold Yes. in terms of the handlebars will just suck the life out of your hands. I supplement by insulating the handlebars. So I insulate that with usually a layer of neoprene. My favorite little trick is uh, cut the neoprene from a beer cozy to wrap around the handlebar and then I cover that with shrink wrap. Mm. Mm -hmm. That insulates you from from the bars so that you're not losing your heat in the inside direction as well as the outside direction. And then the pogies on the outside. Okay. Well, you've already shared a little bit about how you got into bike camping and adventuring with the racing. Can you describe for us one of your favorite trips that you've been able to take with your family? Well, one of our first trips was the Kettle Valley Railway Trail here. It's in BC. It's one province over from us in Canada. And the full trail is, I uh, believe, 700 kilometers. And we did a, a 300 kilometer stretch when Fiona was three and Tide would have been six or seven. Seven. So were they both riding in the Setma or? Yeah, Fiona was riding in the Setma. And, and I just piled all our gear and just popped Fiona on top. And then Tig had his own bike. And then I had what's called a follow me tandem, mm -hmm. uh, which is an attachment to carry up to a 20 inch wheel kid's bike behind an adult's bike. Yes. And it's very versatile in that you can disconnect it and reconnect it. And it, on about the third day of that trip, it became apparent that Tig was 
easily going to be able to pedal the whole distance by himself. We had nice short days planned and we had essentially that as a 10 day trip where we would be doing, you know, 30 kilometers. That's about 20 mile days. And our third day, we accidentally did 50 kilometers. And as you do. (laughs) So we had planned it as a as a very leisurely trip, and it turned out that we had a lot more in us than than we expected we would. On day seven, we accidentally climbed a really steep hill on the highway with a 7% grade. We climbed this big hill, and we got to the top of the hill, and there was a weigh scale there. So I went, and I, I weighed the bike, and my bike came in at uh, 440 pounds with Fiona in it. <laughs> but we had eaten seven days of food by then. <laughs> so, right. it, you know, it, it was quite a load. We discovered the, in fact, that same day, we rolled down into uh, a town called Oliver in southern BC. And we got there and, and realized that there had been a path that went along the edge of the lake with no hill and no traffic and no highway. So we had literally accidentally climbed this hill. We had done so based on <laughs> the information that we got at the coffee shop. A fella said, uh, oh yeah, I bike here all the time. And and yeah, the only way to get from here to Oliver is to, to take the highway. Yeah, sure enough. That, that was completely inaccurate. There were tears. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> It was a a lot of fun, that trip, in that it took us through a lot of different topography in BC. You start out in kind of an arid, forested part, and you move into wetter spruce forests. And then you drop into the Okanagan Valley, which is an arid valley, but it's, it's irrigated with orchards and vineyards and really a beautiful spot. And, uh, all through the Okanagan Valley, you're, you're off the highway and it's a railway grade. So the steepest hill comes in at a 5% grade, which is very manageable and manageable by a seven-year-old on his, his own bike. Yeah. One thing that I have found really inspiring following your feed and reading your blog is how you take on these trips that can feel really overwhelming, I think, to a lot of people. Do you have advice for listeners who want to try to do more bike camping and more adventures like that? And what's the best way to get started doing that? I think, you know, the most important part of starting is is to actually start and to know that it is more accessible than you think it is. On any bike tour, and this applies to most veteran bike tours as well, I have a friend who swears that day three is the crying day <laughs> of any any bike tour. <laughs> you wake up in the morning of day three and, and you think, how have I gotten myself into this? This is so hard. My bum hurts. My legs hurt. I still have 12 days to go or three days to go. I, I can't do this that passes and you know it really does help knowing that that passes that mm-hmm. you know usually day four you wake up and you think 
why was I worried about this? This is awesome. I'm out in the wilderness. I'm seeing things that I wouldn't otherwise see. This biking has suddenly gotten easier. And for everyone, it's it's a little different, but it it's knowing that it is accessible to most people. Yes. I don't have any any superpowers. I'm not immune to the laws of physics. And then the next thing to keep in mind is to keep those days manageable. Don't start out with a 100-mile day when your kids have never done that kind of distance before because it's going to be miserable. Right. Start out with that 10-mile day, the 20-mile day. You know, if you put three days of 20 miles together, well, you've gone 60 miles, mm-hmm. a metric century. That's a substantial distance. And from most places in North America, that will get you into a nice wilderness. Yes. And escape the city, escape the the everyday. I love the advice that you're giving of both plan it in manageable pieces. It's better to do it the way it happened for you guys, where you were planning these shorter days and ended up going longer than the opposite. And also that it is more accessible than people think. And I know on the trips that we've taken, I've been shocked by how close it is to be out on these beautiful country roads, that it's really just a few miles from where we live. And you're out. It may not be the most pristine wilderness I've ever seen, but it is out in the country on open roads and a break from being in the city. And it doesn't take long to get there or as long as most people think it would. Yeah. And again, you know, if you pick a a general direction, usually there's a route that runs parallel to the the highway that everybody takes. Mm -hmm. And if you're on a bike, you can take that route. And, you know, sometimes you'll see a car an hour, sometimes you'll see a car a day. And then if you couple that with winter, well, once you paint everything white with snow, you, you can pretend that country road is full-on wilderness. Right. Well, I think we've covered the advice portion, but I also love to ask guests about the biggest challenges and benefits of getting places by bike. Let's start with the challenges, and then we'll end on the high note. Well, I, I think the obvious challenge is uh, starting. Starting is a, is a big challenge. Knowing that you can do it is a big challenge. And then... When you're going with, this is directly applies to going family camping by bike. The big challenge is just the sheer volume of stuff, mm-hmm. particularly in winter. For winter bike trips, Fiona's 10 and she physically cannot carry a sleeping bag and a stove and food and everything on her bike. She generally carries a camping mattress on her bike. So I end up carrying the rest of the stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the the sheer volume is, is a big challenge. And best way probably to get around that is to use lighter stuff and less stuff than you think you need and finding alternate purposes for stuff. Mm. So when Fiona was young, she would wear a a snowsuit during the day and we would be super careful to keep that snowsuit dry because it was also the inner sleeping bag at night. Mm-hmm. And 
We would dual purpose uh, items in that a summer sleeping bag can be an oversleep, an overbag in the winter. And so then you can, you can lighten the load. Right. And then if you can manage to bring more reliable equipment that you don't have to have a backup for. Mm-hmm. I bring my stove with me, uh, you know, to cook in winter. My backup is is a little alcohol burner that's made from a beer can. Yes, mm, we have one of those too. <laughs> yeah, they're they're super handy. They're not the best in in winter because they do take a really long time to boil water, you know. But as a backup, it it works. And I'm sure a lot of these things, like the multiple use for different things, is something that you learn over time. So if you're starting with shorter trips and kind of figuring out what you overpacked and what you didn't, and then can continue to add to that knowledge base as you have more and more of these kinds of experiences. Yes, very much so. Getting creative with what you can use things for. So looking at what is that piece of clothing shaped like? What what can I use it for? Yeah, I love what you're speaking to about the creativity aspect of it, because I think that's really one of the big benefits of just biking in general and kind of going against the grain in North American culture that society isn't always set up for us to be able to easily bike places. And I think it exercises that creativity and flexibility muscle once you start doing it. Can you speak to some other benefits or the biggest benefits that you feel like your family has experienced, both just through biking in general around your town, but then also through these bigger adventures that you've been taking? The fitness is is kind of a gimme. I, I don't need to buy a gym membership. My mm-hmm. kids get their get their outdoor play in from being able to bike places. When I take them to a campground and they built a teeter-totter out of rocks and a driftwood log that they found on the beach. They've built puzzles out of rocks that they've cracked into pieces. They get a chance to, you know, have that hands-on creative play. Yes. And they they really want the, the play to go on, so they they secretly learn negotiating skills. It's really, you can see that it's it's good for them physically in that they're getting exercise, but it's also good for them mentally. They're, they're learning those negotiating skills. They're getting that free play time, all of the things that you want them to, to get, and they're learning it on their own. Mm-hmm. And just as, as pure recreational value, when you wake up and, and look across a lake and, and see a gorgeous mountain, with the sun gleaming off the snow-covered trees, it's stunningly beautiful. And you can't help but be happy in an environment like that. Yes. It's just fun time, uh, you know, parent and kid having fun in the wilderness. It's not always what you think it's going to be. Sometimes you think it's going to be a, a lot of exertion and a lot of you know, physical training for the kid and, you know, you'll help your kid get stronger. And you do help your kid get stronger, but often it's not about that. Often it's about the discussions that come out of that. Uh, It's really a, a fun, fun thing to do. Yes. It's making these wonderful memories for you all to have as you move forward as a family. And I think that's really powerful. 
Yeah. Well, I know that listeners are going to be curious to find out more about the kind of adventures you go on and what your family's up to. Can you share with them your blog and social media where they can find you? So on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook, uh, you can find me at Cold Bike. And then my blog is uh, just recently moved to www.coldbike.com. I have been trying to put more and more information on, you know, how do you access this kind of stuff, tips and tricks I've learned over the years. And so I've been trying to put more of that as time goes by. Well, I'll be sure to link up to everything in the show notes so people can get connected with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and share these adventures and your perspective and your love for cycling with us. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. I'm, I'm glad to be on here. Thanks so much for listening to the show, both today and any other time you've tuned in. If you aren't subscribed, I'd love for you to do that so that whenever there is a new episode, it will pop up in your feed and you can jump back into these conversations. I hope you all have a wonderful summer and that you are able to get outside and bike with your family.